In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason and plots. We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes, Guy, t'was his intent to blow up the king and parliament. Three score barrels were laid below to prove old England's overthrow. By God's mercy he was catched. With a darkened lantern and burning match. So holler boys, holler boys, let the bells ring. Holler boys, holler boys, God save the king. Welcome to a very different episode this week. This week, for all you English out there, this is a story that we know very, very well. From my experience, this is a story that Americans and I'm guessing the rest of the world do not know a huge amount about. And this is the treasonous gunpowder plot of 1605. Now, Paul, I know you cheated uh, and you did get the, you did get it right. You did say it was Guy Fawkes. It was Guy Fawkes in the picture. However, what is very interesting is Guy Fawkes was not the main perpetrator behind this attack. Guy Fawkes was merely the man that was caught in the act. This was a calculated terrorist attack that was planned on the 5th of November 1605 to blow up the king and blow up parliament. And the reason for this, we will be going into the story. So, 1605, strange year in Britain, very strange. King James I. So if you remember the Mary Queen of Scots episode, King James I is also King James VI of Scotland. And he succeeds the throne from Queen Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth not leaving any heirs. The nearest heir is James VI of Scotland. So when James comes down, Britain as a country is very, very Protestant. Elizabeth was very Protestant. And it was believed that James I with his mother being Catholic and him 
not necessarily being raised Catholic because he was raised Protestant, but with him being a new king coming to a new country, because let's remember he was Scottish, and at the time Scotland and England were separate countries, he had the, the people had this idea that James I would be a little bit more lenient towards the Catholics in this country. And they were sorely mistaken. Uh, James I did not like Catholics and carried on the brutal attack on monasteries and um, anyone who harboured Catholics and basically tried to get everybody to become uh, Church of England. So this is why the rebellion sort of started and this is where it hit the famous night of the 5th of November in 1605. Now, the reason this is such an important story in this country is it is something that we still celebrate today. This episode is being recorded on the 7th of November, and you may even hear in the background some fireworks going off. Now, the reason for that is because every year on the 5th of November, we celebrate with a bonfire. We have bonfire night in this country with massive firework displays up and down the country, this year there's obviously not been any thanks to lockdown again and yeah so but as a general rule this year or sorry every year we have massive bonfires and they put a little man that's been made normally by children they normally have a little competition in certain areas of the country where the children will make what is called a guy uh, which obviously is for guy forks and the winner gets burnt on the bonfire so they go around they have a little competition there's a little thing that used to do in this country called penny for the guy and they'd go around and people would donate money to the kids who have made these mini guy forks out of their old clothes and whatever they decided to make them out of quite a big thing and like i said at the the local bonfires these guys were put onto the bonfire and burnt and you're talking 400 years later, 415 years later, and this still happens. And we celebrate every year that Guy Fawkes and the Gunpowder Plotters, uh, which was manned by a, a man named Robert Catesby, which we'll get into, uh, that they failed. They didn't blow up the Parliament, they didn't blow up the King, and royalty stayed in this country now the celebration is something that british people you know or up and down the country we do every year now british people as a general rule are pretty bad at reading a calendar like i said you might hear some fireworks tonight in this recording and it is the 7th of november we're not very good it pretty much is a party all week it goes on all week uh, fireworks at the weekend before the 5th fireworks at the weekend after the 5th and some people just set fireworks off throughout the week so it's pretty much a week where everyone in the country is setting off fireworks and every cat and dog in the country is shaking in their living room so it's a bit of a strange time uh, people whinge and moan about it they say that fireworks should only be um, at local displays big displays um to an extent i agree with that but then also i really like lighting fireworks so you know we have everyone has their own my my uh, animals are not actually scared of fireworks so it doesn't actually affect me either way but i know some people are and we do have a they uh, brought out a law in this country that uh, 
there are allowed to be no fireworks after 10 p.m. So there's new things that they've brought in recently to uh, combat home fireworks. But I'm digressing a little bit, and I would like to introduce to everybody my new Patreon members. And I want to say thank you to my Patreon members, because we have had some wonderful guys, um, and you've never actually had a shout-out. And I know you all listen, and you all avidly listen, and, and you guys are, you know, are essential to me being able to carry on doing this. So, you know, you guys are uh, especially special in my heart. Um, for for listening to to me, um, that is, uh, I'm not going to read out surnames because uh, you know you know who you are. Uh, Kirsty, Paul, Sharon, Brett, Bill, Robert, Eddie, uh, Amanda, and Mike. I know you you guys listen as well. Um, yeah, I mean you guys every every week, you know, tuning into your Patreons and and things like that, and I really really appreciate that. I can't say stress that enough. Um, I will be doing in the next couple of weeks, so uh, you guys will get a message on Patreon in the next couple of weeks. Um, I have found a company that can make fridge magnets with my logo on, so I will be sending those out to Patreon listeners. Um, I know one of you has asked for my signature. I am more than happy to sign your fridge magnet for you. Um, I'll do that for you if you want that. If you don't want it signed, if you just want the fridge magnet, that's fine. But just let me know. Um, I'll send you a message, get your address, and, and we'll send those out for you guys. Because, like I said, I really, really appreciate anybody who who gets onto my Patreon and, and supports me that way. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And like I said, you will notice uh, a change in quality in the next couple of weeks. Because, uh, as I said, it is my birthday this month and my wife my father and my mother have all jumped in together to buy me a brand new sound system microphone and things like that so uh, I asked if I could use it today Uh, I was told no it's two days before your birthday you're not allowed to use it so that will be coming in the next next week next week's episode you should get crystal clear and it should hopefully you'll notice the difference so um, that is something to look forward to for all you guys so without further ado we shall describe the scene as to why the 9th of uh, the 9th now I'm getting caught up with my birthday why the 5th of November is so important in British history and what the gunpowder plot really represented to the British so to understand the gunpowder plot we really have to go back to Henry VIII now Henry VIII is possibly the most famous king in British history and he is famous for getting rid of the the Pope basically and starting the Church of England that's one of the main things that he is so famous for and he did that for really he did it for practical reasons there was a there was a lot of reasoning behind it but the main reason was that he didn't have a male heir and his wife first wife couldn't give him one and because of that he wanted a divorce he couldn't get a divorce because that was not allowed in the the catholic church so he started his own church so he could get divorced obviously we know the story he divorced the first one killed the second one the third one died divorced the uh the fourth beheaded the fifth and the sixth one outlived him there's a little poem in this country that goes divorced beheaded died divorced beheaded survived that's something you if you ever do in it that's the easiest way to remember it so henry the eighth was protestant started the protestant church of england 
and his son, Edward VI, came to the throne at nine years old. Edward carried on the Protestant, and there wasn't really a huge amount of turmoil in this country at that time. Now, Edward died at 16 years old, so he only was king for somewhere between six and seven years. Um, Not very long, and certainly as a young king, he was not able to really enforce any changes in that time. So when he died, realistically, the throne went to Mary I. Now, if you go back through your history, the first Queen of England was a lady called uh, Lady Jane Grey. Um, Edward decided that Lady Jane Grey should take the throne because um, he didn't believe that Mary would be a very good queen because Mary was Catholic and Lady Jane Grey was his cousin and was Protestant. Um, Lady Jane Grey was never actually crowned and she's known as the nine-day queen in this country and that's because Mary rode into London nine days after um, Edward died and killed Lady Jane Grey. So um, that's why, you know, we for this story we're not going to concentrate on the nine-day queen. So Mary comes in, Catholic, and basically goes on the rampage and kills anybody who is not Catholic. Um, you know, up and down the country, anybody who doesn't support her is murdered. Even her sister is locked up in the Tower of London because Elizabeth was Protestant. Now, Mary didn't have any heirs, and when Mary passed away, Elizabeth took the throne, and the whole thing changed again. On this time... Elizabeth did exactly the same. She went up and down the country and started persecuting Catholics. So, if you're a Catholic in England, under Henry VIII, you were sort of left alone to an extent, as long as you didn't, you know, cause too many problems. You were sort of left alone. Edward, again, being too young to really do anything, didn't really do much about it. Then Mary comes in, and, you know, now... Anybody, could be your neighbour, could be your best friend, is Protestant, and they get murdered because, you know, that's the way it is when Mary was in charge, that she would go for the Protestants. And then when Elizabeth comes in, she did the flip, and she did the, the same to the Catholics. So if you're Catholic in England at this time, you've gone through a little bit of trauma under Henry VIII, then you've got a bit of stability under Edward, then you've got major stability under Mary... And all of a sudden, your whole world has been turned upside down by Elizabeth I. When Elizabeth dies, they believed that James I was going to come down from Scotland and basically reinstate the Catholic Church or at least allow the Catholics to live their own life and stay away from the Protestants and not be persecuted for their religious belief. Unfortunately... That isn't what happens. So these guys, um, it sounds, you know, we, we class them as terrorists. You know, that's what Guy Fawkes and the, the gunpowder plots, they're known as terrorists. They're known as, as uh, people who wanted to blow up the king. They wanted to blow up parliament. Terrorists, treason. In reality, you can actually understand why a lot of these people were the way they were. I mean, a lot of them have seen their best mates be killed for being Catholic. They've seen probably their mums or dads killed for being Catholic. Some of them even, uh, I mean, I don't know, but possibly even young children were persecuted for being Catholic. There was a lot of a lot of bad things going on in this country purely because of religious belief. So 
you can understand why they decided to fight back. So you might be wondering why the Catholics actually believed that James would have been better for them. Bearing in mind James was a Protestant, he was raised Protestant um, when Mary left and, and fled to England. So the reason for that is, like I said, Elizabeth Elizabeth persecuted the Catholics, she didn't like them. Um, as far as you know, as as far as actually killing and maiming and things like that, she she had a tendency to almost sort of live and let live. But as soon as you crossed that line with Elizabeth, that was it. You was dead. Your head was on a spike or on the chopping block. And that's exactly what we saw with Mary, Queen of Scots. She slightly crossed that line and she was executed. Now, these plotters, uh, they wanted Mary, Queen of Scots on the throne and they were quite happy to allow Elizabeth to die you know Mary was much younger and uh, much better and you know would have been a probably a, a very good queen Mary Queen of Scots been a very good uh, English queen but I mean we'd be talking about a very different time um, so that it, you can understand why they sort of thought well this woman's just killed James's mum when James comes down you'd sort of think he might lean towards the people who were defending his mum a little bit at least a little bit at least sort of you know put on a face that he was going to be the savior of the catholics and allow people to you know just to get on with their lives and he did make assurances when he came down that that the catholics were not going to be persecuted they were not going to be um you know brushed to one side or anything like that they were going to be treated as equals even though james himself was not Catholic. And like I said, he did this because realistically he needed as much of the country on his side as possible. There was that rivalry between England and Scotland and a lot of the English weren't 100% sure about having a Scottish king. So, you know, he making assurances and making allies for himself, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it it built him a little bit of stability when he came into the country in february 1605 king james stood up in front of his court and basically said no that's not what i wanted to do i didn't back the catholics i'm not gonna back the catholics we're gonna put higher taxes on the catholics and the rule of thumb basically they have a year to conform to my church to protestant church or they will face the executioner so he's basically u-turned on what he said he has turned around and put fines on people who probably don't have very much money anyway and you know he's threatened them with change your religion or die and for most people in this time i mean i wouldn't just say this time really i would say um anytime you know a lot of people especially when you're talking about religion if somebody comes up to you a lot of people would rather die than change their religion and and in this time in the 1600s this was no different you know people were ultimately behind their religion and this is what they believed they believed that catholicism was the way forward and they weren't going to conform and the only way to basically to do anything about it is to get rid of the king get rid of the king get rid of the parliament and then maybe people will start to listen and 
that's that was the plan that was how they were going to go forward so we'll take a look at the man i mentioned earlier that is robert catesby now robert catesby was born as a highborn he was not a peasant he was not low in society his father was sir william catesby um, he had a grand estate in Warwickshire um, and Oxfordshire and his father died in 1598 now before his father died he really didn't have a religion he was you know he wasn't really I wouldn't say he was un it's it's hard to describe he's no it basically he's known as not religious but you know in reality I don't think anybody at that time was a hundred percent non-religious he just didn't really take much of an interest in religion and when his father died in 1598 he became radically involved with catholicism very very quickly very very fast and he was part of a rebellion um which failed and he was arrested and when he was arrested he was released he was released on the proviso that he would pay three thousand pounds which in 1605 was a damn lot of money and he had to get rid of his estate he had to sell his estate and basically go back to being nothing so he had to sell all of his stuff and he was released from prison so you can understand now why this guy becomes the ringleader of this this plot he's born quite high his father dies he picks up this political idea or this this religious idea fights in a rebellion and then loses absolutely everything so not only has he lost everything he now realizes that his religion is being persecuted as well so you can understand why this man becomes such a key figure in this rebellion in 1603 catesby and uh, his posse his group of group of catholic conspirators um, attempted to persuade spain into going to war with england spain was a catholic country and if Spain went to war with England, then the Spanish king could take the throne and they would be happy because there'd be Catholic Catholicism back in, in Britain. Obviously, for the Spanish, this was not something they wanted to do. Um, they didn't, it wasn't really in their interest to go to war with Britain and, you know, they didn't do it. So, a year later, obviously, they're thinking different ideas and plans and in, in 1604... Robert Catesby comes up with this idea that if they were to smuggle gunpowder barrels under the Houses of Parliament, they could blow it up, killing the King and the Queen and, you know, the Parliament inside. So this was the plan in 1604. When he came up with this plan, he talked about it at length in his own house in Lambeth. And there were two other men present with him. Uh, one was John Wright and another man named Thomas Winter. So these were the original three men that decided that this was the way to go. So you can understand now where you're thinking, well, why is Guy Fawkes the the main guy? You know, he didn't come up with the idea, and he wasn't there at the first meetings. So, you know, it is quite important. We remember Guy Fawkes in this country more, but we'll get to that. But the, like I said, these these three guys, these were the original three guys that came up with this plot. Guy Fawkes was actually recruited by Winter from Holland. He was he was visiting Holland at the time, and Winter went over there and recruited him for this mission. Now, Guy Fawkes was a Yorkshireman. He was born in York, and he lived 
a stone's throw from York Minster. So York Minster is the big cathedral in York and it's absolutely glorious. If anybody ever gets a chance to go and see it, it's wonderful. Such a beautiful building. But Guy Fawkes is a Yorkshireman and he, yeah, he was he was the man that was basically given the responsibility of manning the gunpowder just staying there he would have been the man that lit the fuse which is why we talk about Guy Fawkes so much but like I said he was recruited at a later date he wasn't even in this country when the plan was come up with and you know he he wasn't he wasn't really essential to the plot but he is the man that gets remembered the fifth man to be recruited into this group was Thomas Percy Thomas Percy was steward to the Earl of Northumbria and had a position in court he was a very important man and it was believed that he was essential to the plot because because of his hierarchy he was also 45 so he was a lot older than the other conspirators but he was essential in their eyes because he had information that the others couldn't get hold of he had the know-how the whereabouts and the ability to get into the court without being you know without being questioned so they believed that he was extremely important to the plot so now they had five men who were united by this idea of creating a new catholic britain these conspirators faced a new problem and that problem came by a man named Robert Cecil. And Robert Cecil was the original spy. Let's let's put it that way. He was the original spy. He worked for the king, and he was the man behind the well their day secret service. He dealt with getting confessions out of people and finding out information that most people couldn't get the hold get hold of and these came through methods of torture and you know i mean we're talking serious torture uh if anyone's ever been to one of the dungeons uh, i uh, took my wife to york dungeon on our honeymoon and she wouldn't go in it because she was she was petrified but it was it was a brilliant brilliant day um and they show you some of the things that they used to do to torture people um you know hot clamps where they would clamp someone's tongue twist it three times and pull them out um the the rack which was uh, where they would tie your arms and legs on a basically on a table and just pull them apart until your your body you know, you dislocated all your body. Um, things like these. These were sort of their day. These were torture things to get confessions out of people. And they worked. Whether they worked because people confessed to things that they had done or whether they worked because people would just rather be killed for than go through the pain. So a lot of confessions in these days through these types of torture were people confessing to things they hadn't actually done just purely because they couldn't take the pain anymore. So, you know, it's not necessarily 100% accurate, I'd say, in in getting the confessions, but uh, it definitely helped uh, Cecil get information about certain things that he wouldn't have been privy to if he hadn't have used these methods. 
So William Cecil, a, uh, he employed men to work as spies. Now, these spies would infiltrate Catholic groups, pretending to be Catholics, and they would drip information back to him and, and things like that. What he wanted, what he really wanted, was a Catholic plot. He wanted to spin it. Now, if they could foil a Catholic plot to kill the king, then they can use propaganda, kill these Catholics in front of everyone, and prove that Catholics are murderous and treasonous people. So, he really was looking for something. He wanted a group of men, women, whatever. He wanted a group of Catholics to persecute, and persecute for a good reason. So, we come to the sixth man in the group. This is a man named William Parker. William Parker was a highborn, again, and again was part of the Catholic Rebellion. He lost his lands, very similar to Catesby, and he got them back, and he was appointed Lord Monteagle, which was from his mother's side. So... He was born Catholic, raised Catholic, fought in a Catholic rebellion, and when the conspirators, when he went to these, you know, Robert Catesby and these guys to join them, they had no reason to believe that he had flipped sides. And guess who he worked for? He worked for Cecil. So this is where the whole plan becomes unhinged. So they hired a room very close to Westminster, these the plotters, they hired this room. And the plan was to dig a tunnel from that room under the Houses of Parliament to place the gunpowder in the right position to explode. Now, this meant that someone had to stay there with the gunpowder. Someone had to be in that room all the time. And they brought another man into the plot, a man named Robert Keyes, he was brought in to be the caretaker of the gunpowder. He was there literally just to look after the gunpowder whilst it was in that room, whilst it was going through the tunnel and so on. And this was the plan. You know, they dig their tunnel, put the gunpowder in the tunnel, light it, bang, everything's done. This man was a really bad choice. He was uh, bad with money. He was in a lot of debt. He had a lot of problems at home, bad social life, so on and so forth. Um, and he was basically, this was the last throw of the dice for him to actually do anything meaningful with his life. So not probably not the best choice for someone to look after a load of stuff when realistically, if he was to blow the lid on it, he probably would have got you know a hell of a payoff let's put it that way so definitely not the right man to be looking after this well they started digging uh started digging through the tunnel trying to make this tunnel and, and after sort of a couple of months of digging they they basically realized that this tunnel was just full of water they couldn't get anywhere near the houses of the parliament because the thames was very very close to this building and you know as you, as I'm sure you all know, wet gunpowder is not a very good idea, and it certainly isn't going to explode. It almost looked like this plan was was doomed; it wasn't going to work. But Catesby and Percy were determined to get this working, and the only way they thought they could do it was by recruiting more people into this tight knit group. 
not a good idea. You know, when you're trying to keep something secret, bringing in more men is not a good idea. But they brought in another four men. They were John Grant, Christopher Wright, Robert Winter, and Thomas Bates. So they then were the last four to join this group of rebellious Catholics. As if by chance, conspiracy, whatever, the rooms under the House of Lords, under the House of Parliament, became available. One of the vaults became available to rent. And they believed that this was a sign from God because now they didn't need to build a tunnel. They could literally just rent the room that they needed to fill fill with gunpowder. So they did. They rented this room underneath the Houses of Parliament and this was, they believed, this was them believing that God had smiled upon them. He'd given them this opportunity, which meant that not only did they think they were doing the right thing, now it was backed by God. The problem is, as I'm sure you've all probably worked out, Cecil, Lord Salisbury, was the man who made sure that that room was available for them. Because Monteagle, who was working for him, was feeding information slowly back to him. And it became very obvious what was going on. So he made sure that that room was available the names of the big players were slowly leaked. They knew who was going to do it. They knew what was going to happen. And they knew where. But they didn't know when. But they did know what was going on. This thing was doomed right from the start. The plan sort of... Like I said, we know we know the plan was pretty much doomed. But like I said, they didn't know when this was going to happen. The conspirators had their plan. They had it all set out. They didn't know they were being watched. But... They had one advantage in the sense that nobody knew what day this was going to be done. And there was a bit of a debate amongst the group as to whether they should tip off the Catholic lords in the house. Because there were Catholic lords, Catholic sympathisers who would have died in this explosion. And Catesby was one that said, no, you don't tell them. Don't tell them because if you tell them, you're causing problems. You're causing problems by telling people that this could happen. Because once one person knows that their life's in danger, how do you know they're not going to go and tell the next person, the next person, and so on, and now everybody knows what's going to happen. They didn't agree. There was a big argument between the group, and eventually Catesby succumbed to the group and basically said, okay, fine, we'll tell a select few lords what's going on. One of the lords that Catesby told himself was Lord Monteagle. And he's the one who works for Cecil. So, you know, it wasn't, he didn't know that. But he told him, you know, basically don't go into Parliament on that day. Get a, get a pardon from the king and don't go in. And now, now they knew what day it was. Because, you know, he, he'd slipped up. They slipped up. They knew what it was. They knew when it was. They still didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but they did know that this room had been rented, they knew something was going to happen, they knew who the guys were, and they knew what day it was going to happen. Salisbury knew what was going to happen, and Salisbury knew when it was going to, when he was going to expose the plot. The problem Salisbury had was Percy, one of the conspirators, 
decided that he had enough. He wasn't happy with the situation and he wanted out. He wanted to confess everything. And Salisbury was basically, well, that's not going to happen in his head. He thinks, I'm not going to let that happen. I've spent months planning this and, you know, sorting this out so that I can catch them, so I can be the man that foiled this plot. I'm not going to allow one of them to confess everything because he's, you know, he's got the jitters. Sod it. No, that's not going to happen. And he avoided him for a month. This was towards the end of October or middle of October. He avoided him. Every time uh, he wanted to talk to Salisbury, it was Lord Salisbury's too busy, Lord Salisbury's ill, Lord Salisbury's away on business, uh, Lord Salisbury can't see you. Basically, he wanted him to be part of it. He he wanted him to be caught and he wasn't allowing a Catholic to basically to give up the whole plot before Salisbury takes the credit for foiling the plot to kill the king. Now, you would have thought Percy probably learnt his lesson and would have fled the country. If he was that scared, he would have left. But for whatever reason, he went back to the conspirators. They, bearing in mind, these guys didn't know that he tried to confess everything. So they, you know, there was no, oh, please let me back in. It was, he just carried on. But he carried on with the plot, even though... He tried to confess to the plot, which is really strange. We don't know why he did that, but obviously, ultimately, that ended up costing him his life. So, they needed a way now, Salisbury needed a way to expose the plot. And he decided, well, now this is this is debated. One source will tell you that he wrote the letter to Lord Monteagle just so he could expose them via this letter and there are sources that suggest that one of the conspirators wrote this letter to Lord Monteagle and you know we, we don't, we'll never know because it was written in disguised handwriting now this letter still exists it is in the National Archives in London and this, Lord, uh, this letter says my lord out of the love I bear to some of your friends and I have a care of your preservation. Therefore, I would advise you, as you tender your life, to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this Parliament. For God and man hath concurred to punish the wickedness of this time, and think not slightly of this advertisement, but retire yourself into your country, where you may expect the event in safety." For though there be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow this Parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them, in this council is not to be commended, because it may do you good, and can do you no harm, for the danger is past as soon as you have burnt this letter. I hope God will give you the grace to make good use of it, whose holy prote- protection I commend you. So basically, it, sorry that was uh, possibly not the best reading, but this is written in Old English, so it's uh, trying to translate it as as best as I can. Um, but that is the letter, and basically it's saying, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. Either 
one of the gunpowder plotters sent the letter. The letter then got to Lord Salisbury, or Lord Salisbury, who already knew about the plot, sent the letter just so he had a reason to expose them. Work it out yourselves what you think. Um, to me, it was Salisbury, um, just purely on the fact that he was devious and he wanted to expose it, and it makes more sense. But you know, re- however you want to think on that one, that's up to you guys. So on the fifth of November, which coincidentally was the king's lucky day now this was his lucky day before 1605 it was definitely his lucky day on 1605 the armed guards burst into the underground room where they found guy fawkes stood there with 36 barrels of gunpowder these barrels were covered by wood and coal but that's where they were they were right under the parliament right there and because guy fawkes was the man sat there guarding them at the time this is why we always talk about guy fawkes we talk about it as guy fawkes night we burn a guy realistically this was a much bigger plot than just guy fawkes so the conspirators fled to the midlands they fled to uh, a house called holbeck house and they basically waited for the king's men to arrive um, they tried to recruit an army on the way to try and sort of have one last stand, but realistically, they all knew that their time was up. They were, they were going to die, and you know maybe put up one last fight, but they were outnumbered by against the, probably the entire king's army that could have converged on Holbeck House. Um, you know they, they didn't really stand much chance. So Salisbury's in no rush now to to go and find these men he knows where they are he's not stupid he knows exactly where they are he knows exactly what they've done and he's not bothered he's got guy fawkes in his torture chamber in his dungeon and you know he's not he's not bothered basically what he wants he's got the names of half of them he wants the names of the rest of them and he does this because once he's got all the names he doesn't have to just turn up to this place he it's it's almost like guy he wants guy fawkes to turn on the rest of them now guy fawkes is actually tortured for about five days now when i've explained to you some of the tortures that they used he was broken i mean absolutely broken by the fifth day and on the fifth day he confessed and gave up the rest of his conspirators um, with probably almost every bone broken in his body um, to the point that you can actually still see his confession his confession still exists and his signature is barely legible I mean I'm looking at it now um, his name was Gindo or Guy but Gindo is a G that looks like a squiggly line a dot an N that looks like a straight line the D doesn't even look like a D and the O is actually the the O is probably the only thing that's eligible uh, sorry eligible legible on the whole signature Um, if you ever get a chance if you get a chance to look at it have a look at his signature on this because it gives you an idea as to how much they tortured this man he couldn't even write his own name um, because he was just that broken like I said he did give up his conspirators now they had the names now they had 
the reason they had the propaganda to go after them now they could they could name them all they could say well these are the guys these guys wanted to kill the king they had all the and you know what we know that because we got the confession from the guy that we found with the gunpowder even though Salisbury knew where they were he knew most of them anyway he wanted that confession and he got it the sheriffs turned up at Holbeck and they killed Catesby and Percy they killed many of the other co-conspirators um, some of them were taken prisoner um, a lot of them were killed in, in the shootout the six men that were tried in January of 1606 were uh, Thomas and Robert Winter John Grant and Ambrose Rookwood Robert Keyes and Thomas Bates and obviously the the final man as we all know Guy Fawkes the trial an absolute farce everyone knew they were going to be pronounced dead uh, you know to death everyone knew they were guilty um they were all pronounced guilty and they were all sentenced to death now the punishment for treason was to be hung drawn and quartered this was at a place called Tyburn in London um Tyburn was basically one of the most famous places for executions and hung drawn and quartered meant that they were drawn into the court or into the execution square on dragged in by horses um they were hung to the point that they were unconscious and they were then cut down alive and they were basically cut apart in full view of people alive uh, and they were their body parts were sent to the four corners of England hence quartered um now quite a gruesome way to die uh, that was the punishment for treason what is unknown by many people in this country and something i found very interesting when i found this out was that guy fawkes was actually the only man who escaped this punishment now when he climbed the scaffold to be hung he actually climbed higher up than most people and jumped uh, and he jumped because he knew that if he jumped and broke his own neck then he wouldn't have to be cut apart whilst alive so guy fawkes although was hung drawn and quartered he was actually dead when the surgeons put the knife in um so yeah quite a gruesome end to the story but that is essentially the story of bonfire night in this country it is the 5th of november and it is something that we still i wouldn't say celebrate like we don't celebrate it so they hey he didn't kill the king realistically it's just an excuse for the english to get pissed and set off a few fireworks that's all it is now but you know it has got that connotation it has got that history to it um and a lot of people in this country don't actually know the history they do know who guy fawkes was they know about the gunpowder plot but they might not know the entirety of the story so now i would say most of you guys now know more than most of the english who do the who know this story so hope you enjoyed that episode um i really like i said i love this this is you know i love this type of history um very gruesome very gory um very interesting so i hope you guys uh enjoyed that um 
I do hope you tune in for us next week. Like I said, next week we should have a better quality of sound, thanks to my new gadgets that have come through. Um, That should be good, so I'm looking forward to that. For those of you who are interested in our Facebook group, get yourselves on there. Get yourselves on uh, This Week in History on Facebook. Get yourselves on there. We'll play the game next week. Um, Again, hopefully, see how many of you can get it this week. Um, Like I said at the start, uh, anybody who does want to join Patreon, you'll get access to certain extra episodes that are not available on this site. Um, I will be doing a new one that should be going up. That was a picture um, that was uploaded the same time as this one. So for those of you who uh, who know who it is, get yourselves on there and have a guess. If you don't know who it is and you want to find out, because it is a pretty cool picture, I'm not going to lie. But if you want to find out who that is and what that story is, you'll need to get yourselves onto Patreon um, and support me. Um, you know, we we do we do this every week. Um, I plug it every week. I plug it because um, you know the more of you that join Patreon, the more the more chance there is of me getting more episodes out. It makes it more, it makes it worth me doing, um, and it's you know I enjoy doing it, so it's more fun. And you know the more people that are on Patreon, the the better it is. And like I said, anyone who joins my Patreon now, I shall be sending you out a fridge magnet. So I'll get you a um, get you a, me- uh, a message through to you in the next week once i've got them and got them printed I, i've already sent off but i haven't actually received them yet once i've got them received i'll send off for your address and i shall get them in the post as soon as possible so i hope you guys enjoy um like i said if you do want to do want to get on there like i said get on there it's, it's really easy type in patreon.com this week in history um and you'll find me there it's it's pretty simple you can sign up i think if I'm right, it's around five dollars a month. I do have a couple of people who pay more than that. So thank you so much for you guys who you go, you know, who pay who pay me more. You don't even need to pay me that much. Um, I, you know, I don't do it for the money, but you know, any anything you can give towards us is a big, big support, and you know, it, it's uh, it's very appreciated. So thank you so much for that, guys. Um, but yeah, we shall see you next week. So I hope you all enjoyed it. And just remember, everybody, we all have history, so make yours great. Bye-bye. Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors.